Welcome to Choosing Leadership and this is another episode of the Investor's Lens series with your host Somit Gupta. This series will look at leadership from the point of view of an investor or a VC. In each episode of this series we will explore what traits, behaviors or red flags investors see in their founders that they work with and how founders evolve over time as they grow and become better leaders. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to create organizations where people get to do the work of their lives. Together let us do our bit to create a world where all of us can show up as leaders. With that let us get started. Bala is the founder of Startup Iceland and a managing director at Iceland Venture Studio. He is also a startup coach, a speaker and a eight-time marathon runner. In the interview we discuss the important role of culture in leadership what he has learned from leaders like Gandhi and Mandela and how he is a big fan of servant leadership he adds that nobody is perfect and we just have to try to improve 1% every day hi bala welcome to the choosing leadership podcast yeah thank you thanks for having me it's a pleasure to have you here to begin with can you start by sharing a little bit of who you are and how you got where you are today Sure. My name is Balakam Lakaran. I'm the founder of Startup Iceland. I live in Reykjavik City in, in Iceland, but I'm also like a venture investor slash angel investor. I don't know all those titles that everybody puts me under, but if you look at what I do, I work with founders every day in building companies. So that's what I do now. You add a second part to the question, how did I get to where I am today yeah. and what I do? So I moved to Iceland in 2006. I used to live in the U.S. My wife is Icelandic. We, we lived in Houston, Texas, and I was working in managing consulting. And once our daughter was born, we decided that we needed to be closer to our family. So my family was based in Chennai. So it was a little bit of a hike from Houston, Texas. And her family was based out of Reykjavik, which is shorter. So we decided maybe we'll give Iceland a shot. And I actually moved to Iceland not doing what I do now. I used to work for one of the Icelandic banks and worked with the bank for about two and a half, three years. And then the Icelandic financial collapse happened. And then I decided to start my own thing. And so since 2010, 2011, I have been working with founders and helping them build companies. And Startup Python started as a way for me to build a community around what we do, which is helping founders build. And Iceland didn't have a lot of that going on at that time, primarily because everybody was inward looking. Nobody was looking beyond the borders of Iceland at that time because of the collapse. But as they say, oh, you're lucky to live in an interesting place and interesting challenges are thrown at you. And that's what was thrown at me. And, and I took it up and started building the community and also building my own agency. And it took quite some time, but obviously it's all been fun. Working with founders is always fun. Yeah, yeah. Can you share a bit more about how the dots connect, like the management consulting, banking, and then startups? <laughs> yeah. So I, again, I don't think it was planned or anything of that sort. I just think that it was very organic because in 2009, 2010, when the banks collapsed, I was fired like most bank executives. And I tried to get a job. I couldn't get a job. So I looked around and saw what nobody else was doing. And 
nobody was talking about technology or startups or founders. I thought that was strange because the technological shift had just happened. And I felt that at least to my mind, it was very clear that technology will be a huge leverage, just like capital was. And, and I just thought that we should basically build from there. And connecting the dots with my background in managing consulting and, and banking. I mean, I was like an internal consultant in the bank. I worked for the CEO's office. I went and helped businesses within the bank get better at what they do, which is focusing on customers, building products and things that they liked and served them well and got paid for it. Not any different than what founders and startups should do. So I found like my background was well suited to serve founders. And so that's what I did. I look at all the founders I work with like clients of mine. And the only difference is that instead of me getting paid, I actually get paid in equity because I actually buy equity in these companies because I'm an investor. But then I roll my sleeves and just work with the founders and help them build these companies that we believe will change the course of future. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And the topic like which we would like to talk a little bit about today is leadership. And mm -hmm. since you mentioned these multiple like different jumps in career or working, but also these jumps in geographies like India, US, Iceland, as you said. So how have your definition of leadership evolved and how, what is the definition of leadership for you now? Well, in the context of what you do, leadership is different things, I think. Obviously, uh, there, there have been great leaders who have all been fantastic role models for a lot of us. Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela. If you look in business, there are various leaders who have actually gone on to build great companies. And we currently also see leaders within many facets of what we see. So I don't think leadership is something that you can define, should I say broadly, you can define it deeply, depending on the context of what you do. But at least for me, leadership is always, the word says it is to lead. That means you got to stand in front. You can stand behind the people you want to lead. You have to stand in front of them and possibly show a way, inspire them to walk the way you are walking or inspire them to walk a way that you think is right for whatever the context of what you're doing. I'm a big fan of the servant leader model. And what that means is that leaders are at the service of the group of people that they're planning to lead. That means you serve them by actually working. And what that means is that it's not like giving directions, but actually clearing out the way so everybody can do what they do best. So I try to aspire to be that way. And sometimes that is, I don't know, construed as not leadership, but I think it is. I think that over time, this leadership is a lot more sustainable and it's a lot more resilient. And it also humbles the person in terms of not letting your ego get over the, the things you are doing. I think that is what is the key because our ego gets ahead of what's the mission. And sometimes you have to remind yourself, obviously I'm human, not like I've evolved to not have an ego or anything of the sort. But at the end of the day, we want to put our mission ahead of our own personal gain and then work towards the mission. And then the personal gains come as a fruit 
of our labor rather than the only cause of our labor. At least this is the philosophy that I aspire to, but as I said, who knows? Mm -hmm. Nobody knows whether that's right or wrong. That's what has worked for me. Although in the startups that I am an investor in, I'm usually in the board or I've been asked to be the chairman of the board, but I don't look at it as a hierarchy. I look at it as a role and I play a role, but end of the day, the founders, the people who are actually in the trenches building are the real leaders. So we try to help them, support them in the best way we can. I think that's the kind of leadership that I aspire to. Yeah inspire in others, I mm -hmm. think that model, I don't know, works better, I think. Yeah. And I want to understand, right, from your perspective as an investor, how does that dynamic work, right? Because you said that leaders have to lead, so they have to have an ambition, they have to see something for the future. So there is that, that desire, and that could be confidence, but that could also be ego. But then moving forward, that can also backfire, that can also like make you head-to-head -head with your own co-founder like for the founders that you're investing in. So how do you manage that relationship in a way that it empowers them at the way, at the same time, it guides them or stops them when they are on the wrong path? So obviously when we invest with founders, we buy their vision, we align with their vision. We're not, we don't come in and say, this is our vision and you need to build our vision. That's not what we try to do. We obviously see their vision and we, agree with that vision. We think that's the vision that we want to be part of. So we kind of subscribe to their view. So in that regard, at least that part, there is no conflict. Obviously, there are many ways to execute on that vision. There are many strategies to do it. And obviously, we don't know it all. We don't aspire to know it all either. What we try to do is to be helpful and be more I don't know, Socratic in, mm -hmm. in how we do things, ask questions and try to not put all the burden of figuring things out on the founder, because I think that's the wrong methodology. I just don't think that works well because founders that we invest in are young. They don't have experience in a lot of things. Does not mean that they're not capable. So what we try to do is to guide them by gaining their trust because end of the day, Leadership is about trust. And in order to have trust, you need to be trustworthy. And what does it mean to be trustworthy? That means you need to act with trustworthiness, right? So we don't, we don't say one thing and do another thing because that's the easy way to lose trust. So you got to do what you say and you got to say what you do. And we try to live by that. And so far, with founders, I think we have as they say, only the survivors tell stories, others die. So far, we have survived, so I can probably tell that story. The big idea is that we got to build that trust. We got to build that genuine authenticity and openness. This is all a function of actually committing our time and resource and actually being there with the founders and helping them navigate. And a lot of people talk the talk, but very few walk the walk. We try to make sure we walk the walk. And as I said before, it does not mean that we are perfect or anything of the sort. It just means that we aspire to do those things. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's how you resolve conflicts. It does not mean we always agree. That's not what I'm saying either. We disagree. But when you have that trust, you can work through the disagreement. 
And obviously, the trusting part comes when they realize and the founders realize you are doing and acting in the best interest of the company and you're not putting your own agenda ahead of the company's agenda. Because as we said, if the company wins, everybody wins. The investors win, the founders win, the community wins, the customers win, the society wins, and the government wins. So uh, the big idea is to focus on those things and see if we have a clear understanding of what those things are. And if we can do that and articulate that and work with founders in a trust-building way, I think conflicts can be resolved. It doesn't have to be about ego. We try to make it less about ego and try to focus more on the issue at hand. That does not mean the founders don't have egos or they don't have troubles with dealing with that. We'll be trying to help them along. And at the end of the day, the mission is bigger than the founder. The mission is bigger than the company. The mission is bigger than all the things put individually. So that's, as I say, that's our conflict resolution mechanism. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think you touched upon some important element, right? The vision, trust, walking the walk. And then how do you manage through disagreements, which you're not trying to avoid the disagreements, but managing through that, but also being a guide, helping founders think on their right. own foot. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. And so once again, coming to the geographies, do you see any differences or do you see any similarities in leadership traits when leading or when starting a company in Iceland, India, the U.S.? Because apart from the very different cultures, it's also very different political environments, economic environments, also different mindsets of the local populace. So how do you see that playing a role in the founder's mind? Yeah, obviously culture matters, right? It matters a lot. How you grew up, who has role models and how you aspire to lead. This is all learned by watching and reading and doing all those things. So obviously it matters where you got grounded. If I specifically talk about Iceland, because I live here, in Iceland is originally, if you think about it, was a seafaring country, right? People actually went into the ocean and caught their fish and lived off of that. And that requires a totally different style of leadership was say a farming slash agrarian society. So it matters. And I'm not saying that today all Icelanders learn their leadership from being on the ship, but it has molded the community in a certain way. Uh, they're very hardworking. They're very flat organizations. Captains are not just standing up and giving orders. They actually are there working with everybody because when you are on the boat in the ocean, you can't just stand and give orders. You got to every hand matters. They do. and They grow up in the ranks by doing the work needed to bring home the fish metaphorically as well. So they act by doing, and I think that's a fantastic leadership style. But of course, when you have strong personalities, it also comes across when you speak and do things. We try to manage those expectations. End of the day, founders come from all shapes and sizes, all kinds of backgrounds and upbringings. We don't try to tell them what to do. We try to encourage them. This is how startups are built. This is how you walk through this path. And hopefully they absorb that and put that into action and build from there. So leadership is a principle, right? If you really think about it, it's not geographic. It is not cultural. It's actually a principle. It basically comes down to, it is, it's like gravity. It doesn't change how you lead. 
And people have different ways of doing that. Obviously, in order to be a good leader, you need to be a good communicator because if you cannot communicate your ideas in today's world, I'm talking about today's world, in the olden days, a leader was somebody who could wield a sword very well. So as long as you survived, you get to lead. And we don't live in that world anymore. We moved way far from that. But that does not mean those elements of courage and likelihood, all that is there within the human psyche. We cannot ignore them, but they are less needed in today's leadership. I think what we need is, is community builders, people who bring people together, who are conflict resolvers, people who can actually mm -hmm. figure out a way to resolve conflicts and collectively move towards that mission. And I think that is, that's what I can say contextually fits within the startup side. Obviously, community, government, all those things are different things. So different yeah. types of people and relationships and leadership work there. As that you have to be a leader to be a founder because usually it's a very lonely you gotta you gotta absorb a lot of things and continue to push forward and inspire people to act and move forward you can't do that with fear i've also seen people lead with fear i don't think that works in a longer term it works for the short term in the longer term you need to inspire people to volunteer their heart and their mind and it takes building that trust and all those things because people only want to follow those who they aspire to see succeed yeah. And if you are not that kind of a person, they might do what you say now, but when they get the first chance, they stab you in the back and throw you out of the ship. So you got to do all kinds of other things as well. So you got to become that kind of a person. You can't act that role. You just got to live that role. It does not mean you have to be perfect at day one, but subscribe and ascribe and work towards that. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. And you earlier gave the examples of Mahatma Gandhi and Nelson Mandela. Can you share what is your own vision that drives your work forward? And then why do you invest or not invest in the kind of companies that you do? I was born in India. I have a very amazing, my family is pretty big in India. My, my grandfather was an actor, so he was a leader in a sense. He was, not only was he an actor, he was a mentor to a lot of big actors who came out of the Tamil Nadu movie business. My great-grandfather was the first kind of producer in the movie business back in India. So I had a lot of role models that I could aspire to. But of course, I also grew up in a time when, you know, all that was very different. So I think where you grow up matters. So Gandhi was a very big role model all people in India and, and I was born on the same day as Gandhi. So it was very, it was hard for me not to use the role model of Gandhi. So it was easy to line up with. But that being said, obviously he was the father of the nation, which is obviously much bigger mission than whatever that I do in the corner of the world that I live in. But the principles remain, the principles remain. And I'm a big fan of a lot of things that he was attributed of saying. And, and those things are good rules to live by. Those are not bad rules. And we try to incorporate that into everything that I do, if I can. You asked the second question around what are the kinds of things that we look at when we invest in founders and all that. So the first rule of investing in venture is you need to have an open mind. And what that means is that there are certain things you know, and there are certain things you don't know. 
And there are certain things that you don't know, you don't know. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to have a very open mind to not judge anything that comes your way at the first instant. You need to be able to absorb those things and think for yourself and see if if it falls within any of these quadrants. Known knowns, known unknowns, unknown unknowns, or known unknowns. And if you're able to put them into those quadrants, then you can figure out if that's something that you're willing to back, that you're willing to commit to. And, uh, and it, I also think that chemistry matters. You want to ask yourself, is this the kind of person you want to spend time working? So we are very deliberate about that. We only work with founders who are mission-driven and are working on hard problems. And I think that there are plenty of hard problems to solve and there are people working on them and our job is to find them and back them and help them achieve those things. So it's not conceptually complicated, but it is very hard to implement on a day-to-day basis. So that kind of is where all the philosophy comes into play and we try to, we try to do our best. Not perfect, but as they say, nobody's perfect. We just have to try to improve 1% every day in, in all the things we fail to succeed. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think you said it very rightly, right? It's easy to put it into concepts, but very difficult to actually practice it because it's yeah. a people-to-people thing rather than like something which yeah. can be presented yeah. on a sheet. The conventional wisdom is that there is some cookie cutter recipe that you can recycle, rinse and repeat. And my view is that, yes, the principles are the cookie cutter recipes, but how you apply them within the context of startups and founders is always very unique because the person Mm -hmm. on the other side is very unique and different. So you need to tailor your approach to work with, with that group and you need to be willing to do that. And as I said before, I became an accidental investor. This was not something that I planned to do or anything of that sort. This just became my mission. And, and I subscribe to implement on that vision. A lot of other venture investors don't come to this path the same way. I happen to come to this path. And my path is unique in its own way. And we try to, and I try very hard to stick to the mission because if you get the the money part, the, uh, I don't know, the glamour part and the success part drive you, you run out of team very quickly because this is a game of attrition. It's like a marathon. You got to have the energy to continue to push forward when things look bleak. And you should also have the courage to ride through the dark phases and continue to build because it takes years to build meaningful, successful companies. A lot of people think it takes very little time. Not true. It takes time. It takes a lot more time to do than most people imagine it to be. I mean, I'm happy to say that it took me 12 years to build my own agency. But it did not start right away. It took a lot of work and effort and struggle to change myself and learn and contribute and build with founders. Mm. And that takes an effort and a toll on you. You just got to be willing to do that. You can't do that unless you are mission-driven. Same thing that we aspire founders to do. Yeah. That's, I think is the difference. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I think I'm taking away two things, right? One is that focus on the mission. But the second thing is also being open, right? Because if you see any big leader, whether from a political or from a business point, they did not plan for where they ended up for or where they were celebrated for, right? It's like the calling or the mission finds you rather than you planning the exact or the perfect mission 
for you. Probably. So it's also that openness to move forward with your plans, but to still be open to something bigger, something beyond what you're yeah. trying to do. And then that is the leap of faith, or that is the place where you say that like, right. I step into that rather than go away from that. Thank That's you for sharing that. And I think there are different milestones in every leader's journey, whether founder or not, where you are called for like either retreat or to move on or to take the next big step. So before we wrap this up, what, what gives you the most joy and satisfaction at the end of the day? I think the, I look at the role I play more like a mentor or a coach would. And what does a coach aspire to see, like to, te- like to see the teams win. So, so that's what gives me joy to see the teams that we work with win in the marketplace and they actually make progress and they grow up themselves as leaders and they grow other leaders and it becomes like a upward cycle, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Those things really bring joy. And, and of course, it's not a given, right? It, nothing is a given in this game. And we aspire every team that we invest in to do those things, become their own leaders, become their own coaches and mentors. Do Some don't, but at the end of the day, that's what gives me joy to see when, when an idea that you backed and worked on comes to life and actually completes as you envisioned it would. And obviously, I teach so as a teacher, you want your students to succeed and you want them to go and do bigger and better things. So those are the things that obviously we all aspire for, I think. Just like a parent or a teacher or a coach, we want the people we work with to win. So hopefully they win in the marketplace, to work in their life of life, and also contribute to the betterment of humanity. Because at the end of the day, we're not going to take anything with us. We got to leave something back. Thank you. Thank you, Bala, for sharing that. Like I also work with a lot of founders and leaders. And I think a key shift comes when the language changes from I, everything I am I, to either we or the customer, the economy, the society, and so on. I think that's what you are pointing towards. I think that's what you were, you started with servant leadership. Absolutely. Is that shift Mm -hmm. that focus more than the activity? I think it's a focus. It's where you're putting your attention, whether it's me, how am I acting or is it helping? Am I contributing? Am I coming in the way? So thank you for sharing that. I think that's beautiful for anybody who is listening. And especially since you like tied it with joy and satisfaction, I think it it's a very good place to end our conversation today. Yeah. Thanks yeah. again. Uh, thanks for having me and thanks for doing what you do, because I really do think that we need more of common people doing leadership things, talk about these things because that's how we get inspiration and then we go on to do bigger things. That's how we change the course of history, maybe for the better. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I want to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you, for changing the course of history, uh, doing it together, not alone. And yes, have a wonderful spring and summer ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning pride and satisfaction. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. If you like the sound of it, go ahead and subscribe Your thumbs ups, ratings and reviews mean a lot to me and my team. 
I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality and thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit and until next time keep choosing leadership.